Welcome to the Higher Ed Huddle Podcast. Today's guest is Tyler Bartlett. Tyler is a consultant in Barry Dunn's Management and IT Consulting Group. He provides consulting and advisory services to clients in multiple industries, including higher education, healthcare, and not-for-profit organizations. He has dual bachelor degrees in computer science and cybersecurity from Thomas College and is a certified associate in project management. Tyler works with clients to help assess and strengthen their technology environments with a focus on technology, controls, people, and processes. Tyler, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Joe. Glad to be here. I'm excited to have you on the podcast, and uh, I look forward to hearing more about today's topic of zero trust architecture. Uh, This concept of zero trust has been discussed over the years and is gaining some traction now. So let's start with what is zero trust? Well, I'll start with a little bit of a technical definition and then, and then break it down from there. So zero trust, as defined by NIST, uh, provides a collection of concepts and ideas designed to minimize uncertainty in enforcing accurate, least privilege per request, access decisions, in information systems and services. Um, now, what does that mean? <laughs> Basically, it's a way to combat some of the risks that we're seeing introduced into uh, technology environments with trends such as remote work, hybrid environments, and bring your own device policies. You know, we're seeing uh, organizations and and higher education institutions increasingly are facing uh, increased risk from from things such as devices on the network that might not be owned or configurable by the enterprise or the institution, Um, you know, resources aren't always on institution-owned infrastructure. Uh, Remote, uh, people working remotely and on networks that really can't be trusted sometimes. And because of all these things, you know, no resource can be inherently trusted. And we're seeing that even the institution's network itself can't really be considered an implicit trust zone. And so this, this idea is a way to try to combat some of those risks. Um, for our listeners that may not know what NIST is, can you maybe describe that? Sure. Yeah, NIST is the National Institute for Standards and Technology, and they set out uh, standards and best practices for a whole bunch of areas, including uh, information security and some, and some good controls to, and practices to think about in your information security environment. So they provide good guidelines uh, and frameworks for um, consultants like you and, and also folks that work in, in secure cybersecurity to, to do assessments using their frameworks uh, as a industry best practice. Is that, is that accurate? Exactly. Okay. Well, it sounds intriguing. Um, maybe you can spend a little bit of time and talk about how it works. Sure. To implement zero trust, there's a couple things you need to do. First, you need to make sure you're collecting as much information as possible about the current state of your assets, your network, uh, your communications. Um, I don't want to get too technical, but the more information you have about your environment, the better. Um, Then you want to make sure you are consistently monitoring and measuring the integrity and security of your environment. Those two pieces kind of go hand in hand. Uh, The next idea is that no matter where communications are going, even if they're inside your network, you wanna make sure they're secured. Because like I said, uh, with today's 
concepts of bring your own device um, in hybrid environments, you really don't know what you can trust anymore. The big idea of zero trust is you're making sure that access to individual enterprise or institution resources is granted on a per session basis. And so each time you try to access a resource, uh, whether or not you get access is determined by dynamic policy that uses all the information that's gathered. Remember before I said you want to gather as much information as possible. So it's using all of that dynamically to determine if this, uh, if the resource you're trying to access, um, if you should be granted that access based on your trust level. It sounds very technical as far as configuration and, and how it works. Is it is it easy to set up? And maybe can you talk a little bit about um, how one goes about implementing a zero trust architecture? What are some of the key considerations? Yeah, so implementing it is going to be very different for anyone that, that goes to undertake the, a project like that. Um, it, it varies greatly depending on the type of systems you have in your environment. Because zero trust, this, this idea relies on the interaction uh, and data from many different systems. Uh, some of these systems aren't gonna use common or, or open standards to communicate. And so you need very customized solutions to work with this data. And so how each institution implements it is gonna vary greatly. But the good news is that um, some of these bigger services, um, one that comes to mind is something like Microsoft and their cloud platforms like Azure, um, is they're building this idea into their services and making it easier for people who are already using them. And essentially what happens is, um, like I said, you have a user that tries to access a resource. And the user doesn't see anything on the front end, which is great. You know, the user really can't tell what's going on. But in the back end, there's all these decisions going on. It's taking information from all your different security systems. And it's saying, okay, is this user who they say they are on a device that can be trusted, gaining access to a resource that they should have access to? I'm glad you explained how how something can be implemented in, in, a, in an environment that certainly is different for, for everyone. Um, you know, our environments are unique to each other. Um, and it sounds like zero, zero trust architecture is something that kind of um, doesn't replace or doesn't forklift something in your environment, but really complements what you have there already. And you can build upon um, the tenets of zero trust architecture. So it sounds, it sounds like it, it really just helps your um, strengthen and also mature your cybersecurity uh, technologies in your environment. Exactly. It, it takes some of the, you know, already well-known, uh, you know, best practices and concepts and in information security, such as, you know, the concept of least privilege, uh, network segmentation, and things like that. And it really just improves on the state of your environment it, it doesn't replace yeah i think that's the key word right the replace it's not really replacing anything but really it's enhancing. just doing things a tad bit differently yeah. a little more well-informed that makes sense so um big question is why use it uh, what are some of the advantages can can you elaborate a little bit more 
Sure. The whole idea is that you're, you're almost assuming the network's been compromised. With all these risks present in, uh, in the environments today, you're going to assume that it's been compromised. And so you want to make all these decisions securely. I was reading an IBM report the other day, and it said it takes, on average, 287 days to identify and contain a data breach. You know, that, that's a huge number. That's, that's the majority of a year. And if we're talking about insider threats specifically, you know, the, day, the number gets lower at around 77 days. But that's still 77 days that someone could have been in your environment and doing who knows what, exfiltrating data, um, doing other malicious things without you even knowing it. The report has another number attached to that, and it said that this, this time to identify and contain a breach gets even lower for organizations with a mature implementation of zero trust. So then we go from 77 days down to just one hour. And so right there, you're already significantly reducing your risk of unauthorized access and who knows what other malicious activities could be going on in your, in your environment. And that's just one aspect of it. You know, another thing that goes along with breaches is, is the cost. So that report was also talking about the cost of a breach right now is averaging around $5 million for organizations with, that do not have a mature zero trust implementation. For those that do, that number drops about $1.76 million. So that's we're down to about 3.28 million. So just those two metrics alone, um, you know, the amount of time someone's in your network uh, when they shouldn't be, and then the cost should something catastrophic happen, you know, significantly reduced. Yeah, that is significant. Those numbers, certainly reducing the time to identify and contain a data breach is really important. Um, but I, I imagine senior leaders in, in organizations will really pay attention to the dollar, the dollar signs, and the, and the, tech, the technology folks will really pay attention to the, uh, the days um, that you know, you're vulnerable. But um, I think uh, certainly looking at both those data sets, um, it's significant all around. Um, and so that's, I think, some really good justification for considering a zero trust architecture for sure. Um, let's talk a little bit about higher ed. What, what do you think the implications are in higher ed for zero trust architecture? I think it's um, especially beneficial for higher education because of the amount of users you have you know, accessing your resources. Not only do you have a, a lot of them, but you have different kinds. You know, in, in, a, in a more of a business type organization, you have all your employees and you can mandate things like security awareness training. And so your users might be a little more well-informed in that setting. But in higher education, um, not only do you have your, your employees being the faculty and the staff, but you also have the students to worry about. And, you know, I've worked on multiple higher education assessments and Joe, I've been there with you on a couple as well. And we've seen that a lot of them struggle to roll out information security training, you know, just to their faculty and staff, let alone their students as well. And so um, this, the people are the biggest risk when it comes to information security. You can have the fanciest 
technology controls, the most expensive firewall or, or what have you. But in the end, you know, if the user clicks on the wrong button and does something they're not supposed to, then you can't prevent that from happening. And so what zero trust does is it takes this risk of insider threat, you know, say a student falls for a phishing scam and their credentials are compromised. Um, the threat actor is not, it's harder for them to move laterally within the environment and gain escalated privileges and do things more malicious with this zero trust than it would be if it, if it weren't implemented. And so it really addresses that people risk a little bit better than traditional setups. As we, as we kicked off the episode, we, we talked about this architecture being around for some years now and there's, there's increased interest in it. What do you think is creating that renewed interest in this architecture? Yeah, you know, like you said, it's been, it's something that's been around, or at least it's been an idea for more than a few years now, but it's gaining popularity now because of the increase in popularity of technologies such as, you know, cloud computing, where you have your hybrid environments and you don't really know where your information is. It's not all residing on your own hardware and your own infrastructure. And to go along with that, you have people using their own devices to access institution resources. And on top of that, they could be on their own device and then on an unsecured network, potentially their home network or at a coffee shop uh, or just some random <laughs> guest network at a hotel, for example. And so you're introducing all these extra risks uh, to your resources and your information security environment. And so this is just one way to address some of those risks. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really good, uh, good, good perspective. I certainly would agree that in the last year and a half, we've seen, we've seen an increase in, in individuals working from home and that's presented a number of risks. You've mentioned a few of them. Is, is the zero trust architecture being, from your perspective, being built into or baked into a lot of the new hardware devices that are becoming available, networking or uh, security related devices? Are you seeing that um, at all? I don't know if it's as much of a hardware concept, but um, you know, as I mentioned before, I, I believe it is more of a consideration for for vendors. You know, you see people coming out with their own zero trust solutions um, and you see big people like, like Microsoft and I think even, you know, Amazon, you know, building it into their cloud services. Um, and, and so it's an idea that's really catching on. And if you're already using these services, it's just going to be that much easier to implement going forward. I imagine it'll be a, a standard. We won't even, we won't even think about it in the future. It's just something that's, it'll feel like it's always been there. I imagine. Yeah, no, it's it's taking off, and I think we've even seen something like cybersecurity insurance companies looking looking for this in the near future as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw it a lot more in the near future. Yeah, I often wonder if the cybersecurity insurance companies 
can mandate that if you want coverage, you need to have certain technologies in place, certain configurations in your, in your environment in place. I imagine that that helps them keep their costs down, but also really helps uh, their clients mitigate their risk or really reduce their risk profile as much as they can. Their game is all risk. And so they want to make sure that you have as little risk as possible before they take you on because they don't want to give that payout. Yeah. So if, if that's, I can definitely see that being a requirement uh, coming up here in the near future. And we're hearing, you know, cybersecurity companies requiring annual risk assessments and they need proof that, you know, you had an independent or an outside company do that. We're seeing some of that in higher ed for sure. I think it's good practice. I can't yeah, speak I, to the I merits agree. of you know, forcing institutions to do risk assessments, but I think it's a good, good thing to do. Um, and certainly the cybersecurity insurance companies have, you know, have, have that ability to, to kind of push in that direction. If you want it, you know, if you want that insurance, you, you need to have certain things, you need to check certain boxes and um, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Are there, are there resources that, um, our listeners can reach out to and get more information. Yes. Uh, so one of the big ones is, you know, I mentioned NIST earlier in the podcast. That's N-I-S-T. You can give them a Google search and, and they have a, a document out there called Special Publication 800-207. And that document is all on zero trust and what it means. I will warn you, it's, it's, a, it's a very technical document um, meant for more of the information security minded people. Um, but just a simple Google search for zero trust is, is also going to provide you with a bunch of good stuff on what's out there um, for solutions and, and how to help work towards some of those concepts and implementing them in your environment. Great. Any, uh, any parting thoughts? Before we wrap up the podcast, no, I, th- I think I've said all, all I've had to say, Joe. I, you know, again, I appreciate you having me on here. I was uh, glad to talk about this. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Um, it's certainly um, always always good to spend time with you, but more importantly, learning something I don't know much about. And I think our listeners will appreciate learning more about zero trust. And I think this this episode certainly will give them. Uh, some information really to, to, to learn about and, and really get interested in, in learning more about it. I think it's a great, it's a great tool for practitioners to, to use in their environments. Certainly higher ed can benefit from it as, as other industries. And I certainly hope to see more implementations of zero trust architecture in our industries. I want to thank you for sharing your thoughts and helping our listeners learn more about zero trust architecture and the benefits of it. So thank you for, uh, for joining me. Thank you, Joe. Uh, you can find our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google check back next month for another great topic and guest. until then stay well. Stay well.